just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. What's happening guys? Time for another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast where your favourite tutor, Ian Dos Mackay. Next Level Guy is the go-to men's interview, interest and improvement website where I quiz the experts to find out the hacks, tips, methods and protocols that you can implement in your own life to take it to the next level and live happier, healthier, wealthier, sexier and so much more. Today's guest is Travis Stevens. Travis is a black belt in judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He hails from the United States and he competed in the 2008, 2012 and 2016 Summer Olympics. He competes in the men's half middleweight division. On August the 9th, 2016, Stevens became the third American male judoka to win a silver medal in the Olympics. He recently used his mindset and understanding of ground fighting, movement, alignment and control to obtain his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in an incredible 18 months when it normally takes about 10 years for the average person. In this interview, we discussed topics like his story, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, skill development, fixing problems created during inferior training, analysis of opponents, where most people go wrong and how to fix it, and most importantly, how you can get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the quickest way possible. And now, let's get to the interview. I'm an absolute massive fan of yours, and I'm really, I'm absolutely delighted to have you on. I can't say thank you enough. But for people who maybe don't know who you are, you know, and you've done some amazing things. You've won Olympic medals, etc. Can you just give a quick sort of short intro? You know, why you're so well known and why you're so popular. Um, yeah, I'm a three-time Olympian from the U.S. All at 81 kilos for the sport of judo. And I got my black belt probably the quickest ever from John Donaher and Henzo Gracie. Because that, I mean, I've started jiu-jitsu myself and I come from a Gracie Barra club and they were saying it's like, you know, 10 years plus to get your black belt. And when I seen you got it in 18 months, like that's phenomenal. Uh, I mean, can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing, you know? Were you always quite into martial arts as a child? I read a story that you had accidentally selected judo on your school selection. Is that is that yeah. story too? Basically, um, in the states we have uh, like youth centers, like community gathering places that hold like inner city sports for youth, and that's like the lowest level of sports you could do. So, you know, when your kid really sucks at t-ball, but you want him to play on a team. It's one of those leagues where, like, everybody gets to play, right? Everybody wins a trophy-type sports, right? right? And then as you get better, you can progress into teams that you really got to try out for. Um, So I went to the local youth center to sign up for sports for the season. You know, you pay, like, 20 bucks per quarter, and you play whatever sport is there, and everybody gets to play. And I tried to play football when I was like seven, six, seven, and I checked the wrong box. So here I am, a three-time Olympian in the sport of judo. It's quite amazing. I mean, have you ever, have you ever thought back and looked at that and thought what could have been? You know, do you think um, you were designed for judo? Would you have gone on and 
really committed to playing football? You know, were you destined to always excel at a, you know such a high level? Um, yeah, I think I was destined to excel at something at a high level. I think I wouldn't have done well in a um, team style sport. I'm more of an individual. Uh, my style of training and my thought process to the whole thing doesn't bode well for working with others. Because that's what I love about your, you know, your kind of videos and your blog posts and stuff like that is you really emphasize like the deep understanding the don't you know don't overcomplicate it just get the basics to such a level that you're breathing them you know that they're part of you and every other like a lot of these other places i look at they come out with all this fancy shite and it's it's not good enough for most people most people just need to know the basics and get it to a sort of a standard level but i mean can you remember from your experience of competing in the Olympics, you know, how do you think the travel and the competition and that sort of thing, did it change you as a person? You know, did it change your outlook on life or was that just something you've always wanted to do to exceed at that level? And now that you've had it, you're now looking for extra, you know, additional challenges? Um, yeah, the Olympics is a, um, is a, funny funny um event as far as you know world view as far as what people perceive it as um how the athletes themselves perceive it that are there and how i interpret it they're they're all different right two people can walk into a room and you ask them about their experience, it can be two completely different answers. And it's not that one person's right or one person's wrong. It's just that's how we view the world. So having said that, for me, the Olympics, apart from being recognized as, you know, the highest level of sports you could ever achieve, you know, and we could go down the road of like Super Bowl or like the World Cup or you know, every, every individual sport has their own thing, right? Like, people who play tennis consider Wimbledon the thing you want to win, right? In jiu-jitsu, for example, everybody calls ADCC the Olympics of jiu-jitsu, which, you know, is blasphemy. Um, but for me, my first Olympics, the, the biggest thing I took away from it was... 90% of the people there are average Joes. They shouldn't be there. They shouldn't even be part of the competition. That's just how I how I view it, right? Like, let's take the 100-yard sprint, 100-meter sprint, right? Usain Bolt. You know, before you ever set foot on that plane, if you're going to medal or not. Or... You have the ability to medal. You know. Like, have you ever done it? Even with the wind at your back, have you ever come close to touching this time? No. Like, I don't think anybody has. So what are they all doing? Yeah, it's the when you get people who say, oh, I'm going for the experience, and you're thinking, 
Mm. No. Is it even That's any not point? what it's about. Yeah. It's not what it's about. That's not why we're here. We're here to find out who's the best <laughs> at the end of the day. I mean, could you identify that in your opponents? Could you see how they're approaching it, how how they even sort of held themselves? Could you kind of like pinpoint these people out and know who your like your heavier opponents were going to be? You know, like when you prepped for them, did you just watch footage and then kind of focus on your own stuff, or did you kind of have a could you, you know, sort of a sixth sense to pick out who the the trouble opponents were going to be? When it when it comes to competing, um, the best people don't win. Like I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm the best judo player in the world. I'm talented, I'm hardworking, but I am nowhere near the best. Some of the best judo players in the world are people you've never heard of that have never set foot outside of their country, and they're probably ranked ten in the world. They just don't have that competitive drive. They don't have that grit. They don't have that fight. But as far as like raw technique, raw ability, you know, they're probably better than most. You know, some people just crumble under pressure and some people thrive under pressure. So competition is not a gauge as to who's better than who. Hmm. Right? Like we we have all been in situations where, you know, John Smith has said blank and you kind of like disregard it because it's like, oh, who is he? But then somebody that you respect and recognize as being an influencer or being an expert on a topic says it, now it's something to listen to because they said it. You And I that's how I define my competitions and my competitors. I don't care if you're number three in the world. Like Sometimes you're not worth my time. And that can be a stylistic matchup. That can be a, you know... I just know you're going to quit. That can be a, you just fit well into my judo. That could be a, you have a guy on your side of the bracket that I know you can't beat. So why bother studying you? Cause you're not going to make it to me anyways. There could be a lot of things. I love that kind of attitude. You know, it's the, it's like when I watch your videos, you know, you're such an intense guy. You're so passionate about it, but I get that vibe from you that you kind of, you're thinking at another level compared to other people. You know that you're, you know you're not cutting through the same level of crap. You're not doing it for the views. You're not doing it for the fame. You're doing it because you have like a true love for the sport, a deep understanding of it, and you can actually sense that in other people. You know, it must to compete at that level. You know, you must be able to sense every sort of movement. It's almost like, you know, does things sort of slow down when you're competing? Do you, how does it work in like at that kind of level? I mean, ice bar in jiu-jitsu and you know i get people who come out and they can't remember what they've done in the last five minutes they kind of know the odd move or maybe what they got chalked out by but they have no kind of sense of what's going on you know they're they're completely fighting the whole way through it and i think I, i read an interview where you said the worst thing that people do is not think when they're going through you know when they're sparring when they're competition was that the thing that really helped you go from fifth place to second? You know, was it the fact that you changed your training to sort of feel it more? Um, the thing that really, you know, really did help me was when I went into London, and people always tell you this, that if you want to win, 
you have to believe you're the best before having ever done it. Right? Like you gotta truly believe you're in the best shape of your life. You gotta believe you're better than everybody. You gotta go the Muhammad Ali route and you gotta say it and you gotta preach it to the world and from like the deepest level of your soul there can be no doubt. I went into London with that with that mentality and that feeling. And I lost. So now we have to take a step back and we have to look at the situation and say, well, if I'm at my best, this is what I have to give to the sport. This is it. Like, I can't, you can't go from fifth to first. Like, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I haven't put in the work. Like, all those things start falling into your mind. At the same time, though, like, you could fight every tournament day after day after day and get different winners every time. So, who's to say you can't be Olympic champion just because you finished 7th and 12th? Like, why do I have to get better? Why can't I just get more consistent? So why answer. does my technique have to get better? It's a great question. And when you, when you look at it that way and you're like, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be healthy, and I'm going to do my job. That's it. I took on I took on no responsibility for anything other than three things in my life. I made weight every time. I showed up on time, and I gave it everything I had. No matter how tired I was, like I made sure at the end I had nothing left to give. That was it. That's all I had to do. If I if my technique wasn't good enough, that's my coach's fault. If I wasn't as strong as my opponents, that's my strength and conditioning coach's fault. It's not my fault. If the airline lost my geese and I couldn't compete, that's not my fault. So really right? smart. I like that because you take the pressure off yourself. You don't come in with all this extra burden and you can just be you and focus on, like you said, those three things. And how how did you manage that? You know, how did you change your mindset to doing that? Because I get the impression that you're very kind of meticulous and focusing on everything. You know, was it a big change to kind of relax and just focus on those three things? You know, how did you manage to do that? Um, I was really depressed after London. You know, it was really hard to train. It was really hard to do anything like mopey, sulky. And it, it got to a point where it's like, I, I don't even want to be here. Like, I'm almost embarrassed for me to be here. And as you're, as you're going through it and as you hit those lows, it, it kind of, you kind of get put between a rock and a hard place. And it's like, well, what do you want to do? And, and that's pretty much what happened. You just, you sit down, you look at yourself in the mirror, you close your eyes, you like binge on TV shows to shut your mind off and like you just sit and you just, you either get up or you don't. And some people never get up. It's not, there's no rhyme or reason for me as to, to why I could, it was just, 
let's let's look at it as you know i'm king arthur and we sit at a round table and i have my staff of people that i've put in charge of certain roles in my life you have a job to do in our relationship do your job or you'll be fired right like if your boyfriend or your girlfriend's not doing their job fire them because there's some things that are more important to your life than the next six months or the next year or the next three years Right? When you fight the Olympic Games, that is 90% of what your life has been about. 90% of your life has been about this one thing. Like fire people. Hold people accountable. Hold people to a standard. Hold yourself to a standard. Because that sort of goes against our... You know, everybody kind of says, oh, no, you take responsibility. You're the focus. You do this. You do that. And, yeah, when I, re- when I heard you, I think I heard you say that in an interview, and I was thinking, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're taking these people in to help, and if they're not up to the level that you need them, you know, it's like, why are you going to blame yourself for not being strong enough when they've put a plan in place and things like that? I think we do. We put far too much pressure on ourselves. I heard you say one... Um, I think it was um, around Brazil where you said that you enjoyed going in to a stadium in a foreign country with the favorite, you know, the foreign favorite competing against you, and competing as the underdog, you know, using the underdog mentality. Do you still feel like that? Do you still like going to somebody else's backyard and competing that way and being that person that wants to go in and smash them in front of their own fans? Did was that a motivation at that kind of like just for you to succeed? You know, how, what kind of goes through your mind before a fight? You know, are you still in that mold? Like, looking at as the underdog and thinking, you you know, you're just wanting to go out and do your judo or your jiu-jitsu? You know, what kind of mindset are you coming to nowadays? Normally, it's, it's complete relaxation. Right? Because, you know... Again, looking looking back at those changes from 12, like, you've got to ask yourself, like, when I looked at 12 and I was like, I finished fifth, what would I have done differently? And I was hurt before 12. I had a Liz Frank fracture in my foot. I threw a guy right into a chair because I was pissed off at a tournament that didn't matter. It was a goodwill tournament, but I was pissed off and I was angry. I threw him into a chair, I broke my foot in February. I mean, you know, probably for the better, I took fifth at the Olympics still, I found jiu-jitsu, and here I am today with the silver medal. But, looking back after 12, like, would I have changed? Would I have changed any of the decisions I made? And the answer is no. The reason being is, I trust myself. I trust my staff. I don't care if I get hurt. I don't care if sending me over here got me sick. I don't care if, you know, my gym coach told me I had to drive three states over to go see a shaman to get a crystal to drive it to a guy in Texas to be at practice on a Thursday. And I felt worn down and I broke my arm. I don't care. I trust. I trust the process, and I believe in it. And I think 99.9% of people 
stay in situations that they don't trust, they don't believe in, and it hinders their growth. All for the purpose of they're afraid to make somebody upset. And the way I see it is I care about me. 5149. You cannot love anybody unless you love yourself. You can't be successful unless you're happy. And was that was that the reason then you think that you were suffering in the you know the depressions and the funk and that when you came back after fifth place was it that you were trying to take on the blame and you weren't sure what was happening but then as you realised you know okay this was the fault of this this was the fault of that you made it, you understood you know you took some of that pressure off yourself and that allowed you to compete even at a higher level. Yeah, it, it was one of those things where in 12, I, I felt like I was doing it for me. And I was the one responsible and everybody was looking to me su- to succeed, right? My coaching staff wasn't paid. Like, they're all volunteers. Even the judo coaches, they're all volunteers. The strength coach is a volunteer. Like, nobody was making money because I was winning medals on the world stage or at the Olympics. Like, the goal for all of us was for me to win. And when I lost, you feel like you let your entire community down. Friends, family, loved ones, pets, everybody. Everybody, like, from the hundreds of people at your local club to your community to your country, all of it. But in 16, we restructured kind of the way I think and the way I look at it. And it's like, let me do my job, you do your job, and we'll do this together. Agreed? Agreed. Here we go. So the summer before 16, Jimmy came to me and he was like, so what do you want to do for the summer to prepare? And I said, figure it out. I go, we're in this together. I go, I trust you. You make a plan, I'll do it. And believe it or not, I actually ended up going to the Netherlands and training there for a couple of weeks. And then I was supposed to go to Holland. And the night before I was supposed to fight the event, I ended up in the hospital because I got covered in full body hives from head to toe. Thousands of like bumps, itching like crazy, having trouble breathing, my body was swelling. That was weeks before the games. Had no idea what caused it. Probably stress, you know. But that didn't break my trust in my staff. That's life. Life's going to throw you a curveball. It's quite amazing when you put it like that. Yeah, because you see these people who think, no, I need to get better, I need to be more efficient, I need to take on my own, like, I need to be focusing on this, I need to be focusing on that, and they actually take on far more pressure and stress where you went the other way and made an amazing change and transformation, and I love that approach, because everybody else kind of goes, no, no, you have to be responsible for every single aspect, and you're saying, no, you don't, you know, and if their relationship isn't working, you fire it. And I think that's what a lot of people need to hear. People who are in, sitting in dead-end jobs, dead-end relationships. But you mentioned previously about, you know, that you just, you know, you followed the the path and the, what the coaches and that were saying. 
you know, you believed in the process. Is that why you think you got your black belt in uh, jiu-jitsu in under 18 months? I mean, that is a phenomenal transformation with, and you got it from one of the most respected coaches in jiu-jitsu. You know, is that what you did? You kind of, and you've said in other interviews where you, you don't go into all this fancy crap. You just follow the basics. You go in and you sit and listen. I think that was the advice you gave to a new start. You know, just keep, what was it keep your mouth closed and listen and really understand and really build on the fundamentals? Is that why you think you're you've been able to get uh, jujitsu and judo at such a great level, such a deep understanding? Um. A little bit, um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, especially for jiu-jitsu, let's, let's just, let's drop judo out of it for now. Let's just talk about jiu-jitsu because mixing the two sports is a little weird just because of how we view ranks is different. Um, for jiu-jitsu, I hear that like 10-year plan all the time. And realistically it shouldn't take you longer than five with like actual like work ethic in a real academy i don't mean you do jiu-jitsu twice a week i mean you take it on you make it your life's goal and this is what we're going to do the the big problem that most people have is they don't have the physical ability to actually get their black belt they think that if they just show up and they're present, and they learn a few things that they're going to get it. And that's not the way it works. And that's not the way it should work. Right? I got really good really quick. And wrestlers get really good really quick because we have the physical ability to do the techniques. Right? So let's say we're in closed guard, right? A position everybody knows. Step one to doing the arm bar is pull the arm across your body. Well, when the white belt looks at me and says, I can't, that's not my fault as a coach. That's your fault as a human. Hmm. Right? So if you can't even do the moves from a physical standpoint, then whose fault is it? So when I walked into Henzo's and John's, I had the physical ability to do what was asked. So not only did I listen and I did it, but I had the physical gifts in order to do it. Like, I get adults in class that can't do a forward roll. You're probably on like a two, three year path to blue belt, buddy. Sorry. It's scary though, isn't it? It's like, we've got a society of so... They're so ill and out of shape. I mean, it took me... I got my blue belt, like I'm a one-tab blue belt at the moment, and I got it in a year and a... Was it a year and three uh, three months, something like that? And we've, we kind of do it with Gracie Barra, and it's very... They're very kind of controlled the way they do it. Um, but what annoys me is some people were getting it because the amount of time they had been there, not the level of competency, not the level of could they do the moves or that you know it's almost like well you've turned up enough here you go and it, it's it's like you said it's like but they can't do the actual moves and you think well why are they the same rank as somebody else who's busted gut and you know pushed themselves so how do we build in that physical capacity are we should we 
weights as well? Should it be flexibility, mobility training? You know, what else should people be doing who are listening to this and want to get better, really want to improve themselves the quick and rise up the ranks faster than the normal 10-year plan? I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you have to be an expert at using your resources. So what that means is in the argument that Marcelo has where he says you don't need to weight train just do jujitsu well that's that's all fine and dandy when you know you competed at 160 pounds 170 pounds 150 pounds in that middleweight range category and you had bigger guys to train with that were 190 200 180 like in that range because they're bigger humans that you have to move that in and of itself is strength training. And then you get your conditioning work and your speed work done when you have lighter guys to go with. Right? Like, it, the biggest problem a lot of people have when they do jiu-jitsu and why they're not physically strong enough is they don't actually try. Like, they think that if they just grab the gi, then they're fine. But if they don't actually squeeze with their hand and, like, squeeze with their bicep and their forearm and their trap is flexed and their lat is flexed and their core is flexed from close guard, that guy's just going to take his sleeve out. They think just by it being in their hand, like, it's supposed to stay there. It's not. So when people drill, when people are actively in class trying to learn moves, they're not actually engaged. Their bodies are, like, floating in water. Right? There's a big difference between you know, doggy paddling from one end of the pool to the other and actually swimming. Like, Actually swim there. It's not about just getting there. You've got to try to actively swim there. And when you're drilling, you've got to actively try. Like, Are your knees actually pushing together from closed guard to keep posture? Right? Are you actually still pulling down? Is your partner being a good partner and giving you that feedback that says, hey, I'm, I'm giving you that 10% to lift my head up. Or both of you just laying on top of each other, staring off into space. Like you spend all this money to go to jiu-jitsu, and the only thing you can think about is what's going on around you. Because that's, so that's something I, I see that the whole time. You know, it's people who are fighting, you know, they're turning up and they're like, their partner's just sitting all loose and they're mm-hmm. pulling up the thing and, you know, they're grabbing the collar and they're putting the choke on, you think. Yeah, do do that in a roll and see how it goes. When the, the opponent's fighting back and they're tense and they're they're trying to sweep you, in, it drives me crazy because you get this kind of attitude in Gracie Barra. It's kind of you know it's very inclusive, but it doesn't seem to. We're not doing it at a proper level, and then some people get it just because they've turned up. You know, they get a promotion eventually because it's almost like it's it's too bad to hold them at a lower level. So how would how would you change like to improve people quickly? Would that be you know a case of rolling at a higher like sixty percent defense and to kind of get used to how it actually feels? No, I I think that's how you get really good really quick is you understand what it means to practice. Like you, you actually understand what that means. It doesn't mean I'm just going to aimlessly go through the moves. Like, like here's a good question. I would love to go to blue belts and just say, give me all the steps to close guard. 
give me all the steps to a Kimura from side control. I bet you you drop two or three. Hmm. Well, if you can't even repeat them, what are you doing when you're drilling? You're not doing the right things because you, your focus points aren't there. Like your key areas of focus aren't there. Your mentality of what you're supposed to be doing from there. Have you actively thought about how this guy's going to get out? Where's his escapes at? Where are my counters? Jiu-jitsu is easy. It's like writing a book because once you start down a path, you can erase 80% of jiu-jitsu because it's irrelevant. Right? Like, oh, sorry. For example, if you get into closed guard, who cares about 50-50? If you're in closed guard, who cares about side control? None of it matters. There are only a few options. What are your counters? Where can they go? Am I shutting them off? Am I not shutting them off? And most people just don't think. They don't think. They don't participate in the sport. I love, I love that way of looking at it. It's, you know, it's like a sort of flow chart. Are you in closed guard? You've only got two or three options rather than trying to think and judge and feel and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's just a case of you've got two or three options. What can you do? I'm like, I'm a big believer in if I can't show somebody else it, I don't know it well enough. And that's why I need to sit and go and learn it and go and practice it. Because a lot of the techniques, you know, are like really complicated to some people. And they're like very subtle movements. And, you know, it's more about how you hold your hand on the hip to block it, how you move and, you know, all the little, the subtle things that you only get from rolling and really kind of doing it against an opponent who's fighting. So how do you teach... But that goes back to that drilling point because you said it. You only get that feeling against somebody who's fighting. So as a partner, you're supposed to actively engage in your partner's development. So you're supposed to know how to get out. You're supposed to know that when somebody passes your guard, the first thing you're supposed to do is shrimp and bring that knee inside. Right? And you're supposed to check them. Like, hey, give a little shrimp, put your knee up, and if it slides in, He's got to go back and do it again and fix it. Pay attention. Don't forget. That means you can't forget on bottom. Because the biggest problem people have is they drill. And when they drill, they drill things incorrectly because they're not being checked. And then when they go live, they look at you like, well, he's putting his knee inside. And I go, well, that's how you're drilling it. That's not my fault. Like, I can't control you like a remote control car. Like, you're not a video game. If you're not going to pay attention, I I can't want it for you. Like, when I was taking classes from John and taking lessons from Henzo, like, it, like, I paid attention. I actively thought. I actively drilled. We communicated with each other when we were drilling. Because when I see that... A lot, like I'm just, I was actually thinking just now. Is I can see that when we practice it, you know, I'm, we go through the drill with a training partner, and then we do like you know the kind of the bottom person stays down, the top person rotates at the top. So you kind of train with ma- many different people, and the second you start putting a bit of defence in, people just don't know what to do because yep. they've spent so long basically getting taught that lift the leg, put it in there, da-da-da-da. But nothing's there to kind of say, oh, shit. They never, 
develop the muscle needed to actually keep it because there was never any feedback during the learning process. And that, and that developmental skill is what gets lost. And the reason why I got so good so quickly was I came to jujitsu for the most part with those muscles. There were some that I didn't have like daily Hiva hooks and spider hooks and, you know, a couple of other things that I didn't have and that I've lost since I haven't really been training and just teaching. But if you're not actively like drilling, that's why we practice, right? So that we can get stronger at the movements. It's the whole reason why you do it. But people miss the fundamental thing that if you're not flexing, if you're not trying, then what are you getting stronger at? Nothing. And it's got to go through that developmental stage where you learn the pattern and then everybody skips it. They don't strengthen the pattern. They go right from learning the pattern to it should work in a live scenario without the strengthening. That's where things get missed. So how, if, say, if somebody was listening to this and they were getting okay with jiu-jitsu, but they really wanted to kind of start amping up their training, would it be a case of just saying to your training partner, I want you to give me 50% back. I want I want you to punish me if I, if I do this wrong and you can bring the knee in. We start again. And, you know, how can we do this? Because a lot of times in a class, there's maybe a coach with about 60 students and he, you can't have him kind of checking you all the time. How can we get this kind of strengthening, strengthening the loop that you've mentioned on our own? You know, how can we implement that with a training partner? So the the big the big thing I I emphasize to people is the person drilling offensively drilling. So whatever we're teaching, whether it's like a knee cut pass, for example, they should always get to the end result. No matter what, like it should never be a full recovery. You're testing your partner to fix it. That's what you're doing. So that 50% thing doesn't really apply. You really want more of like a 10% just so that when, when he feels that knee coming in, when he makes the attempt to fix it, you let him fix it. Even if it's wrong, even if it's blatantly wrong. Like he doesn't put his hand to the floor to block the hip. Maybe he just grabs a knee and thinks he can push it aside. Let him fix it. And then offer feedback on a solution later. Because you also need to build the positivity that I'm going to get this to work. The way you get it into your muscle memory and you get it to fire quickly is you get your heart rate really high and you do things correctly. The big problem people have is they only do things correctly when they're fresh. And when they get really tired, that's when all the mistakes happen. It's because they've never really drilled. I really love the way you look at it. It's, I can tell you're at a high level, you know, because you're cutting out all this modern day fancy stuff that every, you know, everybody loves berlambolas and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm six foot three, probably about 250 pounds at the moment. And I immediately just, you know, um, break the guard, pressure passing, control like the hips, control the leg, and all that kind of stuff. And like t- the tozzy pass, the um, over under, you know, and really grind my way through it slowly. And I find that all these fancy moves that we learn in class, 
none of them can do any of that stuff because they can't get me off them to get into a position to do it and that's the kind of thing I think well what's the point of learning all this stuff surely we should be learning like the universal components of controlling opponents setting it up it's fine to show the submission but a lot of times they don't show the, the chain they don't show how to break the guard how to pass legs to get round the side how to secure it then how to do the submission we only get like B rather than A, B, C um, I love it because that goes to back to an interview you did where you said jiu-jitsu was like a Rubik's Cube and everybody tries to fix it all at once when they're rolling whereas they should be just fixing the one movement at a time and build it up from there because I think you said it was um, you know we, we, we try to fix everything in one movement so how can we utilize that you know how can we learn to not but you know to fix things in steps you know can you sort of elaborate on that kind of idea where you know because you said we defeat ourselves but try to do everything at once yeah the 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 easiest way to to think about it for people that are trying to comprehend my my learning style and how I stay positive and how I try to get my students to think is you have jobs to do and those jobs come with tasks and they come in a very specific order and it is your job to understand like the number of tasks that you have to do and as long as you're succeeding at most of them you're doing a good job. And we have to understand that at any point during any of your tasks, you can lose. Because there's no such thing as a right answer in any sport. Right? Every time you put your foot somewhere, every time you put your hand somewhere, you can get caught. That doesn't make you wrong. And that doesn't make you bad at jiu-jitsu. It just means the moon's aligned and he made a good move off of your move. But it's okay. So as long as you're doing all of the right things, it's not about the end result of winning. The wins will come. The problem a lot of people have is they cut corners to get quick wins today instead of staying disciplined and following those steps in that path and trusting in the system that as long as I do these things, I will be okay. Like, I'll tell everybody right now, if you think keeping posture and closed guard is going to keep you safe, you got another thing coming. But that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. And I could tell you too that keeping your head on their chest is the right thing to do. Because if you're damn good at Sao Paulo passing, then there's nothing wrong with it. So you always have to ask yourself, what's my goal? And I do this with my students all the time. I, like when they get caught, I go, what are you doing? And I, I just want to hear a valid response that tells me that their thinking is sound. And that the other person just made a good move. And there's nothing wrong with that. But your thinking has to be sound. That way when you get in better shape and you're a little bit more seasoned, the you'll be able to keep up with either the tempo or the round or you'll hold on to that grip a little bit longer or you know, you can push things off that, you know, normally don't bother the black belts of the world because we're seasoned. So are you looking for somebody to say, 
like you know why did he get caught and they'll say oh well I tried to catch your leg but you put me in half guard are you looking for them to kind of say well I went to try to do this because it would stop you moving or you know what kind of responses do you want them to to see that their thinking is sound and logical so let's say somebody's trying to pass from their knees right and it's kind of like a, an open guard kind of scenario right and they got a hand on a collar right head position is kind of chest level or forehead to forehead even and they have a grip on the inside of the knee right they're just playing like a guy's got his legs up and they're not really sure what to do well if he slides to his side and he tries to step over the leg that guy could suck him in for an arm lock right because the legs are up He's trying to stuff it between his legs, and the guy pulls him off balance, and he gets stuck in an arm lock. Like the the answer I'm really looking for is, oh, I really wanted to get to half guard, but what he's not supposed to do is lead with his outside leg. He's supposed to knee cut knee behind the other knee, stuff it between his legs so his elbow stays close to his body, but he could get overextended very easily. So his thinking is sound. He's supposed to go from butterfly to half guard. That doesn't mean he did it in the right way. But it means his thinking is sound. Like he's he's using his head and he's moving in the right direction. Okay. But if he but if he looks at me and he's like, I was just trying to push his legs over. Well, that's not really the goal, is it? Right? Yeah. So I just I want to see those steps and those progressions in their thinking. I don't really care about the result. Well, now would seem a perfect time for a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this because I had an absolute blast recording this one and I've learned so much from it. But I just wanted to give you the quick heads up on my affiliate schemes. I've set up some awesome deals with some amazing companies. If you go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates, that's www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. Or if you're on the homepage, click on the affiliate deals in the blue ribbon at the top of the website and you can go straight to my affiliate wonderland. There's so many special offers, listener exclusive deals and other discount codes available here. There really is something for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're buying for yourself, a special occasion or for someone special in your life. You can find whatever you need here and there's a lot of inspiring companies and interesting products that you might not have seen before. There's companies like Onnit, Amazon, MeAndies, Barbell Apparel, Shuller, Dollar Shave Club, help with dating sites, there's sporting equipment, there's tactical gear, there's outdoor equipment, there's gadgets, and there's so much more. You might not even know that you needed it, but you'll find it there. Simply go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates and enjoy. Please note, I don't receive any information on you or your purchase. All I receive is a small commission from the business as a thank you for sending you to shop with them. It doesn't affect the price you pay and the monies that I get back from it is used to help develop the site and expand the podcast. Things I really enjoy are um, the Alpha Brain from Onnit, which is like a brain tonic which helps your brain work faster, smarter and smoother. I like the Barbell Apparel jeans. Um, I got a review coming out on um, an amazing pair of review jeans they sent me recently, so keep an eye out for that. There really is something there for everybody. The Dollar Shave Club do awesome razors. 
There's the Nacho, which is from RSD Max. There's sporting equipment. There's links to my Amazon account. And if you want to buy me a present, there's my wish list too. There really is something for everybody. Doesn't matter the occasion or what you're looking for. You can find it there. Simply go to www.nexthillguy.com forward slash affiliates. And now, enough waffle, and let's get back to the interview. I really like that. It's a good way of doing it. It's... You know, that's, I get that impression in a lot of roles, is I'll say to an opponent, well, why are you going that way? And they won't know. They'll just think, yeah. you know, because you were pushing your legs that way, where you're trying to put a particular guard on, they thought, oh, well, I'll try to push your legs the other way. But they're not quite sure why they're doing it. There's no logical rhyme or reason. That's not okay. That is not okay. And that's you, what... You cannot shut your head off. That's what I get a lot of, uh, you know, when I'm against an opponent. Whereas I'll be trying to do a certain pass to set up a Kimura from north-south or something like that and I'll say to them well why did you go that way because you've given me your arm for an arm bar and they'll say oh right I just was trying to stop you coming around that way you know it's like everybody's reactive rather than proactive they're not really kind of thinking like you're saying thinking this through it's I really like that because I've noticed that when I first started I was fighting everything and I wasn't sure what I was doing and everything was just so frenzied and now I'm at blue belt level everything kind of slows down enough that you kind of kind of feel your way out but I can see ignoring people getting belts that don't deserve them you know you see them in every gym but for those people who want to get better it's they have to then start being a bit more feeling and controlling something I did notice was you were amazing at controlling your opponents when you're throwing them you know like you look like you have them under complete control and you're setting up what you need and you're sort of feeling your way there how did you build on like the grip strength the the control to because you were you know you were just sort of throwing people around like ragdolls is there a way like how do we build in that control that ability to dominate not not maybe dominate's a bad word but to control the other person because this is the thing you see a lot in, in jiu-jitsu is people don't know how to control the other person they know the move but they can't hold the person down enough to be to do the move so how can we work on our ability to control and manipulate the person into where we want them to be i would say most jiu-jitsu players for their size are relatively weak as as athletes and and I say that with extreme confidence and anybody can challenge me on that any day of the week um, but I say that because it doesn't matter how much you bench it doesn't matter how much you squat like I see all these lifting videos and I see people with these heavy kettlebells and like these big back squats and all this stuff all over Instagram and it's like yeah but you can't hold anybody so what good does it do you and it's you don't it doesn't matter how strong those big muscles are it matters how strong those stabilizing muscles are like can you flex and then not get extended and that's one thing i can do like i could i could hold you by the chest flex my arm and my lat and you won't be able to straighten my arm out the only ability you'll be able to move is however much the gi allows you to. That's it. Because I have that type of strength where 
when I make a box with my arms and my body, that's it. You move inside the box. That's our workspace, nothing else. If it gets extended, it's because I want to or I'm tired. So could which you comes down. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, could you explain then how you build on those stabilizers? You know, how what what do you do as a sort of training program to expand on that? Because I have so I many questions. Is it just from training in jujitsu and like judo, or are you doing it in the weight room as well? Are you like mobility <coughs> training? You know, what what else are you implementing, or is it just solely on the mats? Eighty-five percent of it is done on the mats. Eighty-five. That's why when people go to the gym, like you do need a base level of strength, a base level, but it doesn't need to be anything crazy. That's why you see guys that are like 190 pounds trained with heavyweights, because in jujitsu, the size isn't really that important because you're on the floor with your weight. Like how many of you guys can leg press like... 150 kilos okay so then it doesn't really matter that he weighs 200 if you know how to use your feet probably not it'll be a little bit of a pain like it'll be a little bit of a struggle but you can be a buck 50 and go with somebody who's 200 pounds because you're on the floor it's different when you're on your feet and you're doing judo because the guy who weighs 200 pounds can hang clean 300 and he could pick you up off the floor and there's nothing you could do about it because you don't weigh enough. Like, that's different. But as far as jiu-jitsu goes, like, like, that kind of strength isn't really all that important. Because I've read... It helps. In... <laughs> well, I mean, I've read in articles, wrong. you know, like from Gary Toonan and people like that, where they've said that, you know, you've you work like your work capacity is immense you know you're training all the time i think you said when you were john dominer it was like eight times a week and stuff like that i mean is that what you attribute your the, the like building this kind of skills this kind of control of your body to is just turning up you know turning into sessions and really kind of like you were saying earlier about thinking and proper proper drilling of the movements turning up getting sessions in the frequency and the consistency you know is that the kind of thing that's giving you the best bang for your back so to speak yeah it's that it's the frequency and the consistency so my sessions aren't long i don't do three hour four hour long sessions but i do a lot of sessions like a lot of hour hour and a half long sessions like five or six a day. So how do you recover from that amount? You know, because that's an immense amount. I mean, I at the moment I'm doing sort of like say three or four sessions a week, and it's like two hour sessions. It's just the way our kind of gym runs them. And I mean, I'm I'm coming away, and I'm now looking at like getting protein shakes and thinking about maybe doing some gym stuff, thinking about running and stuff, but. I mean, I'm working and all that full time, but we're not we're nowhere near the level of training that you're doing. How do, I mean, with all the other stuff you do, media and competing and all that kind of stuff, how do you recover from that? I mean, that's a, an immense amount of work you're putting in. 
How do you keep Gennett to be able to grind at such a high level? I, I don't know. I guess everybody's level of tired is different. Like, I, I just, it's not like, what? It, what is your goal? Like, what are you? What are you trying to really accomplish? Like, if your, if your goal is to get better and it's not defined by anything, then sure. Why don't you just show for the next thirty years and eventually you'll get there? But once you put like a, a date on it, once you put like an event on it, right? Like the Olympics is a great example. Like let's say you're 18 years old and you go, you know what? I want to wrestle at the Olympics. I'm 18 years old. Okay. Let's take a look at that time clock and the amount of work that you're going to have to do to get there. You're 18 years old. The Olympics is, let's say, in six years six years you'll be 24 prime prime wrestling age out of college you have people that are d1 national champions you have guys that are world champions you have guys that are olympic champions and you want to be an olympic level wrestler where are you today and where do you need to be in six years and what's your work ethic like today two times a day wrestling okay Where's the guy at that just won the Worlds? Now, you're working out twice a day. He's probably working out, let's say, twice a day because he's a world champion, if not three. How are you going to bridge the gap? This is a math question now. How are you going to bridge the gap? What more are you going to do during the day to bridge the gap from the guy that is winning the Worlds today and where you are today six years from now? Are you going to do four or are you going to do five? Are you going to work seven while he works five? Are you going to work seven while he works six? And whatever that answer is, now comes the question, are you up for it? So the big problem people have when it comes to, oh, how do you recover? It's like my level of accepted tiredness is far beyond everybody else's. My level of pain that you should train and compete with is far beyond anybody else's. I mean, do you think that's the, the, the problem people have is they have mindsets of they're going to do this, they're going to do that, but they don't actually put a proper time frame. They don't really think about the effort it's going to take or they're not really thinking about the, like, do they really want it enough? They're not they're not putting in the, the actual effort that they need is... Is that where a lot of people are going wrong, in your opinion? Yeah. And I think I think people generalize their goals too much. Like, I want to get really good at jiu-jitsu. Okay, well, who decides what's good? Right? Like, I don't know. Like, is Gordon Ryan good at jiu-jitsu? No, you could say he's brilliant. He's brilliant. So if the word brilliant is used for Gordon Ryan, who describes good? And then yeah. what are the word choices used in the middle? Yeah, I see what I mean. I so mean, like, it's... what's good? Like, is a three-stripe white belt good at jiu-jitsu? He might be in comparison to the one-stripe white belt. But if you ask the purple belt, he's probably like, nah, no, he's pretty bad. So what would you do then if you had uh, a new person starting jiu-jitsu? And they said, okay, in six months, I want to have 
I, but I don't know what my goals are going to be. You know, they said, I've got a target in six months, I'm going to do X. And they asked you to help them pick a goal. You know, what would you, uh, what would you tell them, instead of generalizing a goal, what would your specific goals be for that sort of person? They just walked into the gym? Yeah, somebody who's pretty new, just maybe their first couple of lessons, and they haven't kind of built bad habits or anything, completely new to it. And they have no wrestling, judo, other martial arts background. They're like a fresh, fresh person into jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so, like I mean, what would you say to somebody who's thinking of giving, taking up jiu-jitsu and they've had no other experience at all, but they've got, they're going to give it six months and they want to have a goal for the or a set of goals? You know, I mean, what sort of thing would you pick? My only goal for them is to show up three times a week, and all I want you to do is get through it. Just survive. I want you to do every round. I want you to do every drill. I just want you to show up. So how would things change once it becomes, you know, like a blue belt or a purple belt? Is it, do you go then even deeper and start looking at the competency goals and fitness goals? Or does it stay the same kind of thing? Every, everybody's different. I had a meeting with one of my blue belts the other day and I was like, hey, I need you to start going with people that are physical like i don't want technique from you like you need to learn how to control that d1 wrestler that comes into the room that's just going to shoot and jump and go all over the place like i get it you're a middle-aged human being and you can't go to work injured but that's jujitsu like you've got to learn how to protect yourself that's what i need from you right now protect yourself spend three months i want you to ask all these people to go and i want you to protect yourself i don't care if you get them I don't even care if he's a one-stripe white belt. I don't care. But you're going to learn how to control people so that you can stay protected and you can practice safely. So instead of hiding from it, I made him do it. Yeah, because I just say, cause it, that made me really think just now about when I was competing with some of these other people is the second you put a bit of physicality in it, you know, like when they start trying to do a throw we've just done, and they've maybe had a girl partner who's like very light. They then try to do it to me, and I'll suddenly grab them and like sweep them down, and you can see the look of absolute shock on their face because they're not sure how to deal with people who are fighting back and kind of controlling. Yep. And and you see this in every gym: people only competing with their friends or people that they know they can beat. And I mean, I'm somewhat strange. I like going against purple belts, brown belts. I'll deliberately pick the heavy you know the hard rollers to a point where one of my coaches had to tell me to start going back to white belts as well because it's good because you practice some of your skills on them don't just stick it up when we don't have maybe like a lot of purples we don't have a lot of brown belts but we've got a lot of physical players and it's but a lot of people avoid them because they don't want that kind of that fight and it's really it's quite sad but I really like and that's that. why I make it not about the winning and losing. Like just, just protect yourself. Like learn, feel, understand that you're gonna be okay. So is that a really bad sort of mindset? You think that a lot of people come 100%. with is that sort of win or lose? And hmm. so, how should people be looking at? Is it just a case of just getting better? like subconsciously feeling it they're getting better each session you 
people just have to understand like what their goals are right like like when I make it when I tell him like this is what I want from you I want you to control him and I want you to be okay if he gets tapped three times but he's able to get to different guards and he's protecting himself and he's moving and he walks out of the round I make sure I go up to him and I'm like hey see you're alive you're not injured it's okay because it gives you that starting point of like I'm doing my job I'm doing what the coach is asking me to do and I'm excelling at it because it's not always about the W not everybody gets a win but that doesn't mean you can't do your job yeah because I mean recently I rolled with a sort of brown belt and I, t- I managed to get a tap with a north-south Kimura that I love doing and I love I can feel exactly where to go where to place my body and that and then I'd always struggled with a clock choke on bigger people who kind of fought back from turtle and all of a sudden I, I kind of just flowed into the way that he had taught me how to do it and with the right technique and the right control which I've kind of developed into different ways I managed to get a beautiful clock choke and it was the first time I'd ever done it and at the end I actually said to him I didn't think it was on and he said well the reason you were kind of feeling it now is you weren't trying to strength it on you were actually jujitsuing it on and that made proper sense and that's what I think we need is coaches who are giving that kind of feedback that kind of they understand it at that kind of level and I think that's what makes you such a great coach you know you're understanding the mentality the physicality the, the technique and you're able to kind of encompass it all together. I mean, your videos are amazing. I mean, what is your goal at the moment? Because you've reached the highest of the highs, and you've done so much. But what what is Travis's goal at the moment? Um, I'm I'm just setting up my businesses, working my jobs, trying to make sure that when it is time for me to have kids and a family, and I get married next year. And, that type of stuff starts happening everything is set in place so that the family can be comfortable and how do you think that's going to change you as a man you know have you kind of considered how like has your that kind of relationship changed your outlook on life has it have you changed as a person do you think no i'm the i'm the same person I've always been like everybody plays a very specific role in my life for very specific things and don't leave your lane like there's some people that I'm really good friends with that I talk to once every three months there are some people I'm really good friends with that I only talk through text message there's some people I'm really good friends with that I only talk when I see them in person there are some people I see every day and there are some people I call on the phone every day whether it's work-related, friendship-related, advice-related. Like, everybody's just treated differently. It doesn't mean I care about this person over that person. It's just I'm working towards something. And when you bring value to that, great. And I bring value into their lives and other avenues of what their goals are. And that's the way it should be. And if there's a cancer somewhere in here that's not bringing value, then let's just cut it. I love that. It's, that's what one of the best things I've taken from this was 
to remove people. You know, you don't have to please everybody. You don't have to take it all on and take the responsibility just yourself. That you can, you know, get in somebody like cut somebody out. You don't have to please everybody. Is this why you've said in other interviews, you know, that you don't mix jujitsu and judo, that you focus them on as separate like identities? Because you you know you stay in your lane. You don't want you, each thing has its own place. Um, the the main reason for that that particular statement where I don't mix judo and jujitsu is because it works for like the blue belt and kind of like the purple belt to the world and even brown belts. But when you're talking about like the top ten percent guys, it doesn't work because they're jujitsu players they do jujitsu like everybody wants to know how to do like uchimata for example or haraya goshi but the guy's bent his hip at a 90 but you know what as a judo player i wouldn't throw him with that i would throw him with this other thing so you're asking questions that are completely irrelevant because it's what you want when it's not what you're supposed to be doing when he's bent at a 90 just put him in a front headlock or use your foot you know, the, there's other avenues that make more sense that the people in the top 10% of the sport in the industry would agree with. But everybody else, the other 95%, 90% of other people, they want what they want. They don't care about getting better. They just want to do their thing because their thing makes them feel good, which is okay too. I just can't help them. I love. I just love the way you look at it. It's so refreshing to see that, and it's really helping me kind of think about how I, my approach to jujitsu, my training, etc. I mean, how do you think should people cross train? Should we be doing judo and jujitsu, or is that kind of muddy in the water for most people? Uh, for most people, yes, because they refuse to leave their ego at the door and get better. And when you take a jiu-jitsu guy into judo, and they're like, okay, it's time to do some groundwork. You're just going to do jiu-jitsu because it's what you know. You're not going to do anything of what they showed you. You're not going to start in turtle from your back. You're going to play from guard. And you're going to start throwing up submissions that are 100% irrelevant to the sport. So how have you found then that transition from judo then to jiu-jitsu now to coach and businessman you know have have you approached it the same kind of way of just focusing on each task at hand you know and building that relationship and get rid of cancers if they appear are you, I mean is are you approaching it the same way that you would when you were competing etc Yep and just because you know, when we do things in business that work really well for this business, they don't necessarily work for the other ones and they can be compete failures, right? I can run an ad over here that can completely destroy it and then I can run that same ad to a different audience and completely fail because it doesn't work in that scenario and that's okay. It doesn't mean the ad is bad, it just means it's bad for that scenario. No different than that jujitsu analogy with the Ushimata. It's just bad then. Like, when I give people advice, it's sound. Just because you can't A, physically do it, or B, you misapply it, doesn't make me wrong. Because that's what I love about your videos. It's 
you come on, you you can see that you're having a great time with you, you know, as a you and Frosty and that, and you come in and you don't just say here's how to do the move. You explain how to do it, where people go wrong, but you cover all of those kind of aspects and like I've learned so much in just watching a few of your videos. And I threw them into like some of my my own training, and it made it made me understand things on a completely different level, and that's why I loved your stuff. I mean, we could go on for hours about the Olympics and training. I mean, I, I would love to have you on again and really dive deep into this. But I mean, I try to keep this one general. But you've done some amazing things. So for people listening, you know, what would you want them to take from this if they had to kind of? absorb a sort of take-home message what do you think it should be i think you should decide what you want in life and then go for it no no questions asked anybody that doesn't support you i think you should cut them and find people in your life that really want to help you accomplish your goals no strings attached they want to do it because they know it's going to make you happy and they love you and they want to support you. And it is what it is like a mansion and a nice car and all these nice things. That's, that's not success. Success is waking up every morning early because you want to live life. Not because you have to, because you want to. Like I love waking up at five thirty in the morning to start my day. And I love coming home at 11 PM. That makes me happy. I love having things to do and I love the success that it brings me and I love that people can count on me to do certain jobs or figure out how to do certain jobs and that's what makes me happy. That doesn't mean it's someone to make you happy. People need to figure that out and I don't think most people know. I think people are yes people and they just, they go, yep, uh-huh, I want to go do that. I don't want to go do that. I don't do things with my girlfriend slash fiance when I don't want to. I don't want to do that. That's not going to make me happy. That's not going to better our lives. That's not going to make you happy. It's just the thing you want to do right now. Go do it. Like she went salsa dancing the other night and I was like, I'm not doing that. Not in a million years. Am I going to do that? That's not my scene. It's not my scene. I'm going to go work. I'm going to do some things, you know, that are going to like, make me happy you go do something that's going to make you happy and we'll tell each other about it when we see each other over dinner and that, prob- that probably gives you a stronger relationship because you're both being yourself you're not pretending to be somebody or you're not just you know grimacing your way through it you're it's both not about kinda- faking it like if you don't love jujitsu then stop fucking doing jujitsu it's not going to get any easier <laughs> that's it's just recently while I was doing some like prep for you it got me all excited for jujitsu again. You know, just the, listening to your podcast with like uh, flow uh, grappling and watching your videos, it got me all excited because I realised what it can be. The reason I fell in love with it in the first place, I kind of lost my way there when we kind of the coaching went a bit awry, shall we say? But I've really my passion is coming back after interviewing the likes of yourself and some of the other uh, jujitsu legends. But what I mean. One of the things I love asking is, is there an unusual fact about yourself, you know, that people are always really surprised to hear? Um, 
because we know so much about you being like the legendary like jiu-jitsu judo guy getting the belt within 18 months but is there something else that people kind of go oh my god why you know like are they really shocked when they hear it um i think the biggest thing that shocks people is i am a normal human being (laughs) and i i say that from the point of it bothers me when I meet people who put me on a pedestal Mm. and I get it that I've done these things that people really look up to but that is one avenue of success in a life that creates many avenues of success like did I want to go to college and get an MBA and have a family so when the guy when the dad comes up to me who has a college degree who makes you know a six-figure salary is a blue belt that looks up to me like it goes both ways like I would love to have that too but I couldn't because I chose success over here and you have success over there like it's not a success is success it's not predicated on whose is higher than the others it's that made him happy this made me happy but now I want what he has and now he wants what I have that's just the way life works I mean, it's not too late now. I got my deg- de- degree at university. No, but, when that's, I was... but that's what I'm saying is like guys who go to school late after, we want this, that thing that, that they have. Mm. And now that they started sports, they look up to the thing we have. So it's just, it's one of those things where like, I'm just a guy. I just woke up and I went to work every day at a younger age than you did I love that it's it's probably the best answer I've had you know people kind of come out with things like oh I like this or I've um, you sang or played this instrument and I, I really love that, that it's such a great answer and a very well thought answer well I'm, I realise we're coming up to the end of our time I'm, I'm absolutely ecstatic to have had you on there's so many things I, I still want to discuss so I'd have to have you on again and I really hope you've had nearly as much fun like I've, I know you've just said about you know your normal guy but I feel like it's a bucket list guest having somebody like you on the show but for those who want to find out more about you come and train with you follow your social media that sort of thing how can we do it? You know, how can we keep in touch and see this next chapter in your life that's coming up? Um, there's no one way to do it. I keep everything, you know, fairly separate. But the easiest way to do my personal stuff to kind of get a glimpse at what's going on with me is through Instagram at Judo Silencer. I have Facebook and I have Twitter and I have these other things, but most of my content is geared towards Instagram. I know you saw some of those bigger YouTube videos, but man, they just take so long to make. <laughs> I haven't been able to get them out like I want to. So yeah, Instagram would be the way to go. Message me. I don't do comments. I do messages. I try to respond to everybody's message. That's usually my goal. And do you have anything coming up just now that you want people to check out? Any competitions, any gym stuff coming up that you, you want people uh- to pay attention to? In one hour from now, I will be filming a Fundamentals Concepts DVD with techniques. Everything from warm-ups to at-home drills, solo drills, the techniques that I want my students to fundamentally master and positionally master as 
their path to get their blue belt. Well, I think I know the thing, the next thing I'm buying. You know, because <laughs> just looking at your stuff, it's amazing. You deserve every bit of success you're going, and I cannot wait to see the next chapter because it sounds like you've, you know, you've been grinding for, towards this for ages. You deserve everything you're getting, and it's amazing to have had the chance to sit and speak to you. Um, so, um, is there anything you'd like to add at the, at the end? Man, I just wish everybody the best of luck. Like, live your life, enjoy your life, and get the most out of it. I'm trying to. Well, you're you're certainly hitting the the high the next level in a lot of areas. I, I wish you nothing but success. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.